providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Well, Chuck, thanks for joining us. Give us an update kind of on what's happening, what you're hearing, who you're talking to, and really the outlook for this year. I know most people assume it's not good, but uh, tell us how you see it. Thanks, Brian. Yes, starting really uh, through the middle of the third quarter of 2022, people started to see uh, in the industry just uh, activity overall falling off. We've seen mortgage lenders let go probably 100,000 people at this point in time uh, since rates started to go up here. Well, really started to go up about 10 months ago. You know, we see all these things that have happened. I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of people who are more authoritative than I am have obviously spoken on it, including here on our FNF Unplugged podcast, people like Andy Walden. This first quarter is going to be, um, it's going to be a real slugfest. I mean, it's going to be slow, I think, pretty much everywhere. Florida tends to be busy in the wintertime sort of contra to uh, what we have in the Midwest and Northeast. And people I've talked to there, they're busy, but they're not real busy. And of course, what we have right now, as far as weather circumstances in California, in communities, you know, high dollar communities, when they talk about places like Montecito, where I think probably a, you know, two bedroom, one and a half bath of the carport is worth a million and a half dollars. We're seeing a lot of damage there. We're seeing a lot of, you know, and still recovery in Florida from the hurricanes. So this first quarter, I don't have to tell anybody within the sound of my voice and say, unless they've been living in a cave, that I think it's going to be slow. It's going to be real slow. We have seasonal slowdown. We are seeing some rays of hope here. Uh, NAR reported that uh, in uh, their survey of prospective home buyers that there is some optimism, that there has been some uptick of prospective home buyers as to their belief about buying a home, a new home, or perhaps a first home here in 2023. I think people are suddenly realizing that rates are going to be in the five and a half to six and a half range here through the year, depending on what sort of term mortgage. And so you make the adjustments. As I learned from someone who was an analyst in the industry back in the 90s, interest rates don't determine whether or not people buy a home. Demand decides whether people are going to buy a home. Interest rates determine how big a house you're going to buy. And so I think we will see that. Now, again, affordability is another issue coupled with this. As Andy Walden talked about on our podcast, probably not till next month will we see an end of appreciation in values in residential real estate nationally. So it'll be February before we see appreciation stop. And all the statistics have been like, well, you know, it's really slowing. It's the slowest appreciation we've had in, in years. It's like, yeah, but it's still going up. And from the Black Knight data, from what they last reported, they thought it'd be April before we'd start to see a downturn in pricing uh, of homes. The inventory nationally is very low, though here where I am in Cincinnati, I'm starting to see some for sale signs, but they're not moving very quickly. So. I think we're going to have a very slow year, and most of the people who I have spoken to really don't think we're going to have any really good times until probably the middle of 2024. 
The third quarter, fourth quarter of this year, we should start to see some recovery. Part of it will be seasonal, part of it will be adjustment to uh, the interest rates. And something which I always called market exhaustion, it's not a scientific term, but uh, you and I have talked about it, that when you go through 12 to 18 months of a high refinance activity, coupled with a high sales activity, after a while, it just sort of stops. And what we have added to it was the fastest rise in interest rates that we've seen in 45 years, where rates went from the mid threes to the mid sixes in the course of 90 days. So you add all that together, and it sort of brings things to, and I don't mean to underplay it, but I'll use the term lull. It is a lull. It will come back. We know real estate will come back. But we're seeing an awful lot of changes, an awful lot of consolidation in the mortgage markets. We are seeing lenders leave the uh, direct residential mortgage business. North American Mortgage, who's been around for a long time, they are not going to start making loans directly to consumers. They are going to stay in the secondary world. So we're seeing some of those changes. I think every title agent needs to be aware of what their lender customers are dealing with and what their realty customers are dealing with. So it's going to be a slow year. It's going to be, uh, you will see some seasonal uptick, I think. But part of it is just this exhaustion that the market's just sort of played out for a while. And uh, we will hear the phones ring again, but it's going to be a few months before we, there's any sort of meaningful ringing of those phones. Just when you thought you had seen it all in 30 or 40 years of real estate, here we enter a period where affordability was already an issue. We had a significant lack of inventory, and you may say that all real estate is local, but that's the story everywhere. And then interest rates double, right? (laughs) And so you enter this period where it's like the market is paralyzed, for lack of a better word, while we wait for things to settle out. And I, I see the same things in my neighborhood. I live halfway across the country from you, and I see a home up the street that's been way overpriced and has been on the market for, you know, 90 to 120 days. It just took a $125,000 price reduction. Might be in a range now where it at least pencils, but it's still probably a little bit overpriced. So, I mean, we're entering that, I guess, if this is a baseball game, right, maybe the maybe the bottom of the second or maybe the top of the third, and there's a long way to go. I agree. And that affordability issue is going to be a problem. You know, as we see houses start to go onto the marketplace and if we see some of the institutional investors start to move some of their housing stock that they bought up in the last two years, and we have seen some already start to sell some of those houses, those are first-time homebuyer houses to a great extent. We will see it, but it's, it's just going to be slow until this all comes back. And again, say, you know, we're talking here in mid-January. So, you know, the first quarter is sort of uh, almost, it'll be baked in the cake in the next six weeks. But in the second quarter, we'll see some seasonal uptick, I think. But uh, again, as Andy Walden discussed, for any meaningful refinance market to come back, that's going to be for lenders or for uh, title and settlement providers, we're going to have to see a drop of almost 3% from current rates. Well, Mortgage bankers uh, right now, they are looking at mortgage interest rates, hopefully, uh, based off their models, hitting into the mid fives by the end of the year. Well, that's a 1% drop. That's in the interest rates. That's not three. So we will see some refinance activity because there's always some refinance activity. People need to take money out of their house. 
whatever it is they choose to do, that people will do some refinancing. But refinancing by virtue of a rate reduction, we're a long way off before there's any meaningful volume in regard to that. And that's probably going to be well into next year. Well, when you're on top of the mountain, throw dirt in the valley, as the saying goes, and hopefully a lot of people in the industry did that to ride this out. And here we are in this lull, as you call it, great way to put it, and there are no shortage of other issues to deal with now while the market is slow. You look at cybersecurity, ransomware, wire fraud, privacy concerns in many states now. Uh, All of this is on the uptick. What should title agents do now to further safeguard against all of the above? Well, especially if they have some time on their hands, the first thing to do, of course, is to pull out your own cyber policy, your own liability insurance, and read what it actually says. And talk to the uh, to your uh, provider, your broker, as to uh, what coverage do you really have. Cybersecurity is a big issue as far as the insurance industry generally throughout the world. And in the last three weeks, going back to the middle of December, the CEO of Zurich, which is the largest reinsurer, I believe, at this point in the world, he prophesied that by the end of 2023, cybersecurity insurance would not be available to be purchased. That being said, just a couple of days ago, Beasley, which is one of the largest uh, of the Lloyd's syndicates, entered into a bond uh, that uh, is going to enable them to provide cybersecurity insurance going forward here. They see it as an area of great growth. I think that growth, uh, yes, there's a revenue stream that comes into it, but there's also losses. So <laughs> that's that's the other side of growth in the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is really aimed at large institutions. And it's going to be a real question, I think, for a lot of title agents um, going into 2023 about the affordability of cybersecurity insurance. And so their own policies and procedures, they just need to be in place. They need to be updated. They need to be part of the DNA of everybody who works there because this is going to be very expensive with less coverage probably available as we move forward. Ransomware continues to grow as a concern. It's something too for title and settlement uh, agents to take a look at their third party groups and what do they have as far as their cybersecurity requirements. If you're working with someone who is, let's say an abstractor somewhere in, in handling your search transactions for various counties, what do they have? as far as that data, because that's your data. And privacy is going to be huge in this year. California and Colorado have just come online uh, with their new statutes. Uh, We're gonna have more states come online through the course of the year, and they're gonna be different. The privacy requirements will be different. Lenders are going to look at whatever are the strictest standards, which will probably be California's. Those will be the standards that uh, they are uh, going to require of their title and settlement agents throughout the country because they can't say, well, you know, you're not in California. Well, we don't know if someone's a California resident or not in the transaction that may take place somewhere in the Midwest. So they're going to have the same requirements. So title agents, if you haven't read them in a while, read the closing instructions of your lenders. As our good friend Penny Reed from Wells Fargo likes to say, read your closing instructions because those lenders 
may be requiring more things from you in terms of privacy requirements as to their customers that they are referring to you than you may currently have in place or that your state may require. So you need to read those closing instructions. You need to be aware of what they say. And you know, back in August, the CFPB issued circular 2022-004. And that circular set forth in the Bureau's view, the minimum cybersecurity requirements for service providers as defined under Dodd-Frank. That includes settlement service providers. So if you're an attorney who does closings, no, it doesn't apply to your law practice per se, but if you're doing closings, suddenly it does. And those requirements by the Bureau, as they say in the first paragraph of the circular, that they see these as the minimal requirements and that if you don't meet these requirements, they believe it is an unlawful, deceptive act or abusive practice, a UDAP violation per se, even in the absence of a cyber breach. Not to say the Bureau is going to be driving around in your neighborhood and stopping in to see what you have by way of cybersecurity. That probably isn't going to happen. But if you do have a cyber breach, if you do have a problem and you have not met those requirements, you could have a regulatory issue with your state, perhaps with the CFPB, and more frighteningly with class action counsel, that suddenly uh, you are a defendant in a lawsuit that you never wanted to be in that could drag on for years because you didn't meet those requirements. And therefore you were in the view of the Bureau operating illegally. And that gives a plaintiff's counsel great fodder to bring into court to throw in front of a judge to say, well, yeah, they had a cyber breach and yes, my client was damaged by it. And by the way, they were operating illegally to start with. So I urge everybody to take a look at that circular. Most title agencies, I believe, are probably already meeting those requirements. By and large, they are best practices, but read through them and be sure you're meeting those base requirements. Because again, if you're doing closings, you are going to be required to meet these requirements as far as the Bureau is concerned. And again, it may not be the Bureau that's your problem. The problem may be plaintiff counsel when and if you have a problem. Well, we're certainly in an age of uh, heightened compliance here, and I want to flip that script and play off what you just said, because I know the lenders are certainly heavily involved in what's happening here and taking a hard look at not only their own business model and their practices, in all 50 states and beyond, but they're looking at the title agents, they're looking at the underwriters, they are looking at the real estate professionals, the real estate brokerages out there, and who they partner with. And I know they are aligning with those who are compliant and those who aren't, they are not, right? So uh, we've seen this with real estate professionals, and I know this has to be coming with title. So let's make this a positive here and get out in front of it, right, Chuck, and say, what should title agents be doing out there to get in front of this, be compliant, and align with these lenders? Absolutely, Brian. And again, you know, reading the closing instructions is step one. But I think, too, that, you know, there's a lot of things that are floating out there that lenders are reaching out to. And some of these are things that I saw back in the 1990s, hmm. where lenders are looking to find ways 
to bring real estate agents and real estate brokers into a role as a loan officer such that there may be a commission that may be payable to those real estate agents or that real estate broker. Now, we have a raft of state laws based on federal law that require anyone who originates a loan to be duly certified by their state to meet the requirements and licensed by their state. So that would require some work to do it. But if a real estate agent has nothing to do, they may spend that time to do it. We did have a letter that was sent out by the Federal Housing Commissioner back in the 1990s. It set forth a 14-point test as to whether or not you were a loan officer by virtue of what you did. Uh, You can't just take someone's name and address down. That doesn't mean you get to uh, be paid something on that origination fee. But there's going to be a lot of temptation, I think, in this slow market for title agents, settlement agents. They may be approached by real estate professionals, maybe approached by lenders to do things that I'll just say may be gray area. And the rules are the rules. They are still the rules. RESPA hasn't changed. The enforcement of those rules is more vigorous than it has been in recent years. And one should just be mindful that, uh, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, cling to some idea that, gee whiz, this is a new idea in my marketplace. No one else is doing it. There's probably some reason for that. (laughs) Um, It may be a market disruption that may be justified, but quite often it's because there are laws or rules that would not allow you to do it in the first place. And sometimes it's not necessarily laws or rules that just apply to us as title insurance agents under appropriate state insurance law or as settlement agents under state or federal law but it may apply to the real estate professional under the laws and regulations that they have by virtue of their state requirements under their real estate commissions. Likewise for lenders, most lenders who are tied to federal standards are gonna be probably more mindful of those compliance standards. But if it's someone who's regulated by a state, and again, if someone's not bringing any income and they think they found a better mousetrap, they're probably gonna try it. The question is, does the mouse trap spring backwards on you when you opt to do it? So as we move forward here, and uh, and again, I get phone calls from agents to say, well, what about this and what about that? And by and large, the title agents I talk to are very well-meaning and they want to be sure they're doing things the right way. But they're being approached by people who probably don't realize or understand the scope of the laws that apply to us and even apply to them. So, you know, again, falling back to uh, my original comment, you know, the rules haven't changed. Uh, there's more vigorous enforcement of the rules and regulations. And uh, uh, anybody who's in uh, title or settlement just needs to be mindful of what those are before uh, launching in a new direction from what their marketplace may have uh, recently, because uh, it may be an exploding cigar. No question. You know, it seems like what's old is new again, in a sense. You know, fair housing's been around for, what, 40 years now or more? And yet, here we are with affordability being a major issue, along with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So you have this intersection of these two uh, issues once again here in the 2020s, where you have underserved communities, 
Uh, you have a lot of issues getting first-time home buyers into homes now because homes are so expensive. And there's an opportunity here, right? I mean, you know, for title agents out there um, who want to get involved in those programs and you know and build that side of the business, there is opportunity. And so I want to look at the positives here and and you know get your perspective on what agents can do to participate in that, to nurture that, and to grow that business. Well, I think there absolutely is, Brian, and, and we've been talking about it and we've had guests uh, on the program who've talked about the convergence programs that uh, MBA is doing in Columbus and Memphis. Now they're launching into Philadelphia, absent even that sort of organized program. As the MBA said now about a year and a half ago, all of the growth in home ownership, all of the growth in home ownership for the next 20 years will be in the minority community. We still have 18 and a half years of that to run with. And it shouldn't be a big shock. You know, anybody who looks at the census data can see that America is changing and that we do have a much bigger minority community. We have a lot more people in this country who are who have English as their second language. We see FHFA sending out requirements that are going to be effective here in a matter of 45 days as to limited English proficiency. And if you're a title agent and you're in a marketplace where you have a lot of people who speak various languages, and of course, you know, in the United States, generally people sort of fall back. It's like, well, right, Spanish, that's that's pretty common as a non-English language in most communities. But there's a tremendous number. Our friend Hoyt Mann at uh, Alana AI, they have 52 languages that their LEP program works with. And lenders are going to be required to identify people with limited English proficiency. Every title agent should be having the conversation with their lenders, with the loan officers they work with. Okay, in our marketplace, what does that mean? Does that mean, mean yeah, Spanish? Does it mean Mandarin? Does it mean, you know, if you're in Dearborn, Michigan, does it mean Arabic? I mean, there's a wide range of languages. And what can we do as title and settlement agents to be sure the lenders meet their requirements that they are being compelled to do and which make good sense. You want people to understand the transaction. Nobody wants to be in a circumstance years down the road where there may be a foreclosure and then the borrower says, well, you know, I really never understood what I was signing because I really didn't understand English that well. And they just told me to point and sign. Limited English proficiency is going to be a big topic here early in the year because of the rules that uh, lenders are going to have to do. And that's something for title agents to take the opportunity to see what they can do so that they can provide those same sorts of resources. And that gets back to diversity. We still have, and granted, most title agents today are probably not looking to expand their staffs. But there is still attrition, there is still retirement, there are still people who will need to be replaced because we are a graying uh, community in the title and and settlement industry. Uh, We need to get uh, more people in and to have that diverse employment group is a benefit for any title agent and any settlement agent because especially if you can bring someone in who is a native speaker in any of the languages non-English languages that are common in your marketplace, this is a huge benefit to you that your competitors aren't going to have. And it falls back to, uh, as you mentioned, you know, you know, fair housing is fair housing, and this goes back to the 1960s. 
we have an awful lot of community groups who work in fair housing. As a title agent, as a settlement agent, get involved in your community, participate in these. And two real simple reasons. First of all, it's good for the country. It's good for America. It's good for your community. It helps stabilize neighborhoods. It's just a good idea. Secondly, as Adam Smith discussed, that enlightened self-interest is the basis of capitalism. Adam Smith was not an economist. He was an ethics professor. And so that self-interest can help you expand your base of business, allowing, again, a more diverse base, allowing you to generate more income. And we have, over many years, since I've been in the industry, talked about how are we going to advertise to consumers? And there is more of it as we move forward, especially with social media. But consumers, especially consumers who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s, are very mindful about who they're working with and what those companies are and what they do. And if you are committed to diversity, if you show on your website, here's our staff, and by the way, it looks like our community. Look at the people who are here, look at their pictures. Mm -hmm. This is very meaningful to consumers and not necessarily consumers who are minority or in underserved communities, but to all consumers that, yeah, these are the kind of people I wanna work with. So there is great opportunity in fair housing and working with uh, the minority and underserved communities and the limited English proficiency groups here in 2023. And it's, it's a great year to do it because if you don't have as much to do, that gives you the ability to change your systems, to spend the time, and get to know your community and get to know your community leaders so that you become engaged with them to help your communities and your neighborhoods and help home ownership uh, in your cities. Well, Chuck, I want to wrap up with a question maybe out of left field here, but we haven't talked about this in quite some time. Uh, commercial real estate and the activity in that sector for uh, the year ahead. Uh, talk about that. Is there any opportunity there? Because I haven't heard a whole lot from my commercial real estate friends and contacts about, you know, any stress there, but I want to get your take on it. Well, we've just come off of a huge commercial year. Uh, I haven't seen final numbers. They probably haven't been uh, rolled out yet, but MBA was forecasting about a trillion dollars in commercial mortgage origination in 2022. I don't know if we hit that trillion dollar number on track to get close to it. That new number for 2023 is more like 700 billion, which is still a very good year for commercial mortgage origination. We see, and I hear from commercial uh, title agents, now again, we're in the first few days of January. Historically, a slow time for commercial because there's usually a flurry of activity at the end of the year because of tax law considerations and uh, end of year balance sheets and so forth. But we do see and hear that, you know, a lot of, you know, sort of the smaller commercial, the strip centers, three unit strip centers, things like that. There is a fair amount of activity in those areas. Surprisingly, a hotel and um, 
recreational properties. You know, that was sort of forecasted to initially be just uh, at the bottom. There's still a lot of activity. There's still a lot of hotels that are going up, especially, uh, you know, in in hot cities, places like Nashville. I know they can build hotels fast enough in Nashville. So we are seeing that. But, you know, some of the larger transactions, we may see some slowdown in some of that, you know, Goldman has announced uh, a big drop in uh, their employee numbers. They've let a lot of people go. Part of it may be in the M&A world, and M&A does affect commercial real estate as it moves forward. So, you know, we'll probably see, again, because rates are relatively high, not a lot of restructuring, certainly in the first part of the year. But uh, commercial real estate should have a decent activity level through the year because we are in this odd place where we are sort of one foot in the boat of recession and one foot on the dock of expansion. And uh, a lot of it has to do with what part of the economy you're in. And we are seeing uh, companies uh, you know, trying to sublet their office space in major cities, but then we see other people moving into major cities. So it's a very mixed bag. I think there certainly are some opportunities here in commercial, especially as we get into the year. And if we see that whatever sort of recession this is or may be comes to light, we'll see if it amounts to that much and what it means to uh, commercial activity in the various sectors. Yeah, we've been hearing about a recession for so long, I feel like it's already over. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, just, and, you know, you there's know. some people say, well, you know, we did have a couple of months where we did have we uh, did. a technical recession in 2022. And you know, we'll see how the early 2023 numbers uh, here come up. But, you know, the jobs numbers are still pretty good. Yeah. And uh, yes, there are a lot of layoffs in uh, certain sectors of the economy, but other sectors are still hiring. And if people have jobs, as you mentioned, and I know this sounds crazy coming out of the low rate environment we were in, but I always said this as a mortgage advisor, you know, if people have jobs and they have certainty, they will buy homes. And that includes at six or seven percent. You know this better than I do. Yes. The first mortgage I had was at six percent. Jimmy Carter was the president. And then um, shortly thereafter that, rates were at 16%. And people still bought houses at 16%. So it's a matter of adjustment. It's a matter of psychological adjustment. It's a matter of financial adjustment. It will come back. People want to have homes. All the NAR statistics show that home ownership is still a highly desirable thing by the vast majority of Americans. And so we will see it come back. But um, meanwhile, gird up thy loins and batten down the hatches because we're going to see a continuation of this lull. Well, great catching up, Chuck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Brian. And uh, best to everybody uh, who's listening here at uh, FNF Unplugged. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies, all rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. 
The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.